0: I've been talking about the good news, and I have a passion to uh, somehow help us to to know and to be able to speak um, the things that we learn about in the Bible in the context of good news. They are good news. And today, our topic is good news discovered in the sanctuary. Perhaps outside of Judaism... Our church is the only one that has a doctrine about the sanctuary, and so we're very unique there. And here's a drawing of that with Mount Sinai in the back, with the power of God's presence there on the mountain, and the orderliness of the campment around the sanctuary. Of course, there was a third of a mile, I believe there was, between the, the temple uh, curtains and the first tents, but the artists couldn't do that. But is the sanctuary good news? It's the eighth of our 28 official beliefs. It has rarely been uh, considered good news, however. It isn't our most understandable or even our most attractive uh, belief. It requires complicated explanations. It's difficult to find an emotional or viable connection with it. Slain animals doesn't necessarily warm our hearts. So we're troubled by this particular doctrine. In the first three editions Of our doctrines in 1872, 89, and 1993, the main purpose of the sanctuary doctrine was to determine who would be saved and lost. And um, is this how God sees the sanctuary? Uh, When we are ashamed of a doctrine or seek to apologize for it, it is quite possible we may not understand it right. Our doctrines must be about God and therefore should be good news. Would you agree with that? Every one of them? In 1980, the sanctuary statement introduces for the first time the vindication of God as a theme. Uh, So, the thing that I, I want to draw your attention to first here is the end of the Bible tells us a lot about a marriage, doesn't it? Of a pure woman who is... Now going to be presented before the groom, and who's her groom? Jesus. Jesus. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the, ta- the what? Tabernacle. Is that a key word? The tabernacle? Is that another word for? Sanctuary. Sanctuary. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. We already heard that verse this morning from our scripture. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. So tabernacle is associated with marriage language. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What is coming down? New Jerusalem. New Jerusalem. And there was a tabernacle in the New Jerusalem, wasn't there? Didn't God take that tabernacle to home to heaven? And uh, he, it's there. And um, the bride has made herself ready for a divine consort. God tabernacles with his bride. They are one. This oneness is marriage language, isn't it? The two become one. One. Moses was the groomsman, or in Hebrew, Shoshpen, the friend of the bridegroom. And so when God called Moses to take the people out of Egypt and take them into the promised land, one of the first things that they did when they got into the desert was to build what? The tabernacle. Picture that you saw, a drawing of it anyway, a painting of it a while ago. And it was the responsibility of the bridegroom to get the couple ready for marriage, to guide them in the marriage process. So Moses, the friend of the bridegroom, the Shoshbin, who would lead the bride, Israel, out of slavery to be married at the Mount to God. I never picked this up before, the comparisons of how this is tied together. His responsibility was to make all the arrangements for the wedding. That's what the bridegroom was to do it was his responsibility a number of things that he did he had to safeguard the bride and the groom so that no switches could be made where did that story come from (laughs) no tricks (laughs) no tricks you know everything went fine and bringing the bride and groom together to oversee the development and pledge of their vows and only when that was done he would go away rejoicing his task completed the lovers were together and how did he do that? God instructed him about a sanctuary as the means to accomplish that. Can you hear me all right? The sanctuary is all about a wedding. I had never picked that up before. The church is the bride. The Spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come. The bride says, come. Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Who's the Lamb? And the bride is? The church. So he carried me away in the spirit and showed me the great city. There's the bride. The holy Jerusalem descending out of God, out of heaven from God. In the Revelation, the people of God are said to be the gifts to the marriage supper. And the whole focus of the book of Revelation is to tell us how they get from where they're at in John's day to that great marriage supper at the end of the book of Revelation. When they're made one. The separation is no longer there. They are one. How important that is. And it's called a marriage supper. And you remember the marriage. I remember my marriage supper. Do you remember your marriage supper? Have I told you this story before? We got married in the Loma Linda University Church. Uh, her parents used to, her dad used to practice there at Loma Linda, and um, so they knew a lot of people at Loma Linda. I didn't know anybody, but they did, and so we went all the way down to Loma Linda. This gigantic, have you ever seen the University Church? Huge church, little tiny wedding going on in this great big church. <laughs> and uh, and I remember um, it was a very nice man who was the baker. Strange things that come into your mind as you think about, go back. But for a young man, it wasn't strange. It was life or death for me. Uh, On the way, it scared me to death. I was standing in front, my wife was coming down, and I had to sing. And every note I sang was off key. But I was just horrified. Horrified you know and i knew that just not too far away was her brother who played the organ and he knew what i was supposed to be singing and he was thinking about me singing off key the whole time somehow i managed to get through the wedding and i got this beautiful bride that i still have today and i love her very much but we went over to the reception and here comes this short man and he's all he's not dressed up he's in work clothes and he comes running over to my mother-in-law and he's all upset the cake he was the baker the cake had crashed, and all these people, you know, it all of, you know what? what was he going to do? And and he was so apologetic. But there was one thing that stuck into my mind about that. I wasn't so worried about the cake crashing. I had my wife already, so I thought that was okay. okay leave it out the cake. But he handed my mother-in-law a one hundred dollar bill. I guess that's what it cost to do cakes in those days. And my mother-in-law handed it to me. Oh, wow. <laughs> I could have a honeymoon. Hmm. Christ receives the new Jerusalem, the capital of his kingdom, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And this is a part of what the sanctuary is all about. The followers of Christ are to wait for the Lord when he will return from the wedding. And in Matthew 22, uh, the marriage is introduced as an Investigated judgment is clearly represented as taking place before the, um, the judgment is clearly represented as taking place prior to the marriage. And so the sanctuary is the preparation for the wedding. Um, previous to the wedding, the king comes to see the gifts and to see if they are all attired in the wedding garment, the spotless robe of character washed and made white in the blood of the lamb. That's sanctuary. And you remember what Hosea said, I will betroth you to me forever. And there you have Jesus on suspended on a cloud, an artist, depiction, coming before the Father to receive his kingdom, his bride. Okay, go back to the wedding, tabernacling. God is tabernacling, veiled behind three progressive compartments, the courtyard, the holy place, and the most holy place, which we'll look at later on, through these various uh, compartments, he is tabernacling. He is dwelling. He is with us. The bride, Israel, by journeying through these compartments, discovers all the groom has done to win her heart. Did you hear that? It's a story about the groom. I've often heard the sanctuary is told as a story about that somehow ferrets out all of our faults. It's basically a story about what the groom has done to win the bride. All the things represent him, what he has done. It's amazing to win our heart. It's a story. The extent of his love for her awakens her love to him. The sanctuary is a place where this thing called sin that separates God from the church is removed. The law written is, is written in the heart and it restores holiness because Be holy, because I, God, your God, am holy. God tabernacles with the bride in the sanctuary. And he did that for literally 40 years. Now I'm going to take a total left turn here. You ready for the left turn? Biology imitating theology. Doctors may have something to say about this. I'm sure they do becoming one. For years and years and years I've thought about this. If you have an invader in your body, what does the body normally do? Tax it, kills it. Why is it that the bride's body doesn't attack and destroy the sperm? Why? Why is it that it allows the egg and the sperm to unite and grow? Why is it that the fetus is treated as one? with the mother's body. Why does that happen? Isn't that amazing? Is God involved with this? Because the mother mysteriously recognizes sperm as self. The woman represents a church, a sanctuary, where the groom can entrust his offspring to be nourished until they are strong enough to be born. Think about that. That says. Have you had difficulty seeing the sanctuary as good news? As you think back, your understanding of the sanctuary, ha- have you had difficulty with that, finding the good news in the sanctuary? Maybe you have found some special things there that really are good news, and uh, I'd like to hear those. Uh, how does picturing it as a wedding ceremony perhaps have a change in the way you look at it. That seems like it's a total different scenario. If I walk up to the ta- to the tabernacle, the sanctuary in the wilderness, I'm bringing a sacrifice and there's going to be death. Right? And uh, and maybe I'm going to lose this one because I'm the oldest boy and whatever it is, and I've raised this thing that I'm now going to be a part of taking its life. But going to a wedding ceremony, that can be stressful to men as well. But picturing it as a wedding ceremony might change the way we look at it. See how Jesus is wooing us back to him. That's wonderful. And as you stop and think about it, think about it with me just for a moment. What would it do to all of us to think about marriage that way? And to go through and to realize how much our partners are giving to us. And how completely they are giving themselves to us. And re- remember what Jesus has done. He's so completely given this to us. And how much God has done. Reminded of this sets the whole framework. I am finding in the counseling that I have called upon to do in marriage counseling. That over and over and over. The story that needs to be told to brides and grooms. Is just a simple reminder of what Jesus is all about. What he has done. And this passage in the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives as what? Christ has loved the church. And how do we find out about that? The sanctuary is one of the main places that showcases that. And so these things uh, can teach us how to love in powerful ways. And this theme runs all the way through the Bible. Is this previous slide helpful at all? The one about the mother and the pregnancy and the sperm and how come they don't get thrown out and kicked and destroyed? It's amazing, isn't it? How God gives the church the ability to hold on to this stuff. We are sinful and we are at war with God. We will normally destroy anything that God gives us. But he has this ability to take this little seed, gives the mother the ability, the church, the ability to hold this little seed and to cherish it rather than to kill it and destroy it. It's amazing to think about that. Isn't it? Amazing. Does this make help in making the sanctuary good news? Now, there are more groomsmen. The Bible is filled with them. Um, One word that was used uh, for Adam was samar, the guardian of our world. He was to guard the garden. His sin forced him to surrender that role to whom? And to preserve their home from the effects of immortalizing sin, God stationed, literally caused to camp, another word for tabernacle, angels at the eastern gate to the garden. The angels now were the guardians. Guardians of what? They were tabernacling so that what was there would not be destroyed. These cherubim were to guard, with flaming sword flashing back and forth against sinful intruders, a role that would be later played by the shoshpen or the groomsmen. Adam, once the Samar of Eden, is now exiled from it, and cherubim guard it from him. God will not let this perfect ideal be lost. He will keep it preserved. He will not sacrifice that. Moses saw a sanctuary in heaven. He built something on this earth as a model of that. And he's not going to let this model be destroyed. He's going to keep it alive so that the hopes and joys of the marriage can take place. There's been all kinds of guardians. Noah gifted to see and to know what others could not possibly know. He guarded it during those very difficult years when the world got to be so bad that God even repented that he had created man. Abraham trained his family in how to walk with God by faith. And those simple times when he would have his children and grandchildren on his knee talking to them gave them an opportunity to understand about God as Abraham told the story about God, just like the sanctuary tells the story. And as he did that, the wedding between... The child and God started to be formed. How beautiful it is. They became one. Abraham was God's friend. He knew God personally. And then you find Jacob. Remember, Jacob was a troubled boy, troubled man. And God just continually sought him out until finally he yielded and became Israel, selfless, prince of God, He's there for God, not for himself. Then you remember Moses, the giver of the law. He was one of the groomsmen. And boy, did he have to labor hard, didn't he? To try to teach those people what it, God was like. It was a very difficult task to do, being a guardian. And someone in a wedding capacity, the groomsman, who is to bring the two parties together. Joshua, he was such a faithful servant and leader following in the steps of mighty Moses. And bringing them into the promised land and helping them to establish themselves. Then you find Daniel and John, what amazing guides they were, that tell the story and tell the pictures. And Paul, an enemy to the greatest evangelist and theologian the world has ever seen. And he was able to say, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. And so he would tell the story as well. Do you see the picture here? Is it always in order for the wedding to take place? It can't take place without people there to kind of be guardians, to be the ones that tell the story, to keep the story alive, to keep the hope alive. I've been very much involved in that lately in some counseling that I'm trying to do. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. I have called you friends. All things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you, that's exactly what the Shoshen were supposed to be, and we're encompassed with a cloud of those kind of witnesses. Hebrews chapter twelve said right after chapter eleven when it goes through that whole list, and uh, God has given us so many of them. And let's let's continue to look at some of them. You see them in the stories that the pictures tell, down through time. There they were, suffering all kinds of different things as they labored to tell the story about God. Daniel in the lion's den, Paul, the road to to Damascus, the disciples in the upper room, the missionaries uh, uh, down through history that particularly these might have been over in the Walden Seas, I'm not sure. And then also, just down through time, there's always been these shoshmen, and there's more. I mentioned John the Baptist, he... Who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and listens for him rejoices at the sound and the voice of the bridegroom. So then, my joy is complete. He must increase, I must decrease. He was a a groomsman. The Apostle Paul, For I betrothed you to one husband. I wish to present a pure maiden to Christ, he said to the Corinthian church. Um... He was to guarantee the chastity of the bride. He will do all that he can do to make her pure for Christ. Have you met any groomsmen in your life? People who sense it's their responsibility to get the bride ready and who care about preparing people for that? That's what it's all about. Jesus' disciples were that way, the Christian church. And look at, there's been stories out through time. William Tyndall is the one with the big beard down there. What sacrifice did he pay? And what did he do? Translated the Bible in the common language. He was a groomsman. His task was to get the bride ready, and that was the task that he had to get the Bible. We still have his evidence of his work coming down to us today and the work that he did. And who can who can estimate the amount of... of uh, 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 influenced people like uh, John Wesley who traveled house to house you know, on a horse to tell the story and Martin Luther who stood pretty much alone for a long time. And then you have even in the Seventh-day Adventist church 70 years she stood. 35 of them beside her husband, 35 alone. What did this woman have to put up with? in those years. If you know anything about it, you realize it's not an enjoyable task. But it was the joy that was set before her that enabled her to do that. Well, who have been the groomsmen, the ones that prepare for the bride and the groom to get together in your life? Who have they been? Oh, I see a finger pointing. Sister to brother. Brother. Alright? And you can think of some. You think of people that have had that role and may be in your family, like we've mentioned here. It may be others, teachers. Uh, 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 our former uh, teacher out there, uh, Roland. Uh, I think people felt about him that way. Yeah. There are people in our lives that do these things and it's an extremely important role. And they're preparing for a wedding But in order for that wedding to take place, pretty much (coughs) this tabernacling has to happen. And one of the best ways that groomsman can do that is to walk people through the sanctuary. And that's why it's good news. Devoting their lives to helping you to know and to love Jesus. (coughs) All those kind of people. And others. Whom are you a groomsman or a guardian to? Who do you do this for? God has sent His church, John the Baptist, out, all the disciples out, all these individuals. You saw the pictures up on the screen just a moment ago. He sent them out to do this work. Um, who was it who was telling me that just recently that they bring people to the meetings? and uh, Oh, you folks, yeah. Uh, down in Syria, they have uh, such a friendly thing going on down there. It sounds exciting. They have a dinner evangelism by, it's called Tabletop. And <clears throat> basically, the church members invite their friends and they come and they eat around a table. And then, <coughs> when they're done eating, there is a presentation, an evangelistic presentation. Relaxing study, but a good study in the Bible. And they're winning souls like. No one could imagine. And the church is growing tremendously simply because of something like that. And the members are excited to be a part of that. (coughs) And so they're groomsmen. Devoted to preparing, uh, the bride ready. What is it like being a groomsman or guardian? What is it like? It is a lot of work. And a servant is very important, right? Takes wisdom, doesn't it? But also it takes experiencing salvation yourself and to understand it from that point of view and to have a tremendous amount of love for people. One of the things that I find that always gets in the way, if people don't know how to love, they don't know how to receive love either. And so if you can't receive love, you're pretty much lost with Christ, aren't you? You have to receive His love in order to be forgiven, right? So you have to teach people how to love and that's something that's very important to do. I'm going to take you now to another phase of what I'm trying to present. I'm going to take you through the last week of Jesus' life and show you how during the last week of his life he was doing this very thing that we're talking about. On Sunday, there was a wedding procession. Uh, It's the 9th of Nisan, AD 31. Who's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey? Just as Zachariah had pictured it to marry his what? His bride. The Judean kings came to take the throne on a donkey. And you would find these antiphal, uh, what, what's the word? Tip-up-ful, choirs that sing back and forth to each other? Anyway, you would find a group with the king coming up and a group on the hill or on on the uh, fortress of the uh, city wall and they would sing antiphonally back and forth. Who is the king of glory? You know, make way for the king of glory. Who is he? The Lord strong and mighty. Back and forth. And it would just get so exciting as they would approach each other. There was a wedding taking place. The king and the kingdom or the groom and the bride. And there was one with Jesus. He was coming in Jerusalem on Sunday to claim his what? Bride. Just as he had promised. It was customary to wave palm and myrtle branches before the king and the couple and accompany them with musical instruments, singing along the possession to the groom's house. <coughs> All who met were expected to join in this celebration, so total strangers would come in and they would be caught up in the joy. I've seen that happen in Israel when we were at the... Um, the temple um, uh, Foundation, you know the wall, the temple wall, all of a sudden, the doors opened up in one of the little uh, synagogue schools, and a bunch of boys came out of this school and they were just waving their little flags and singing, paying no attention to anybody else. They were just singing and having a great time. They were just totally thrilled with the idea of rejoicing, and they came down uh, down the steps and came into the little platform the area there, the courtyard singing and I thought that's really amazing. Love songs were sung in praise of the bridal pair, examples of which survive and also in the Song of Songs. And we find this antiphonal choir in Psalm 24. You could read it there if you'd like. Sunday, Jesus was talking about the temple as what? My house. By Thursday, it was no longer his house. Leading to procession, um, <clears throat> Jesus' marriage to the church and his enthronement as king in the spring of 31 was whom? Lazarus. Jesus' best man. After that ceremony, that exciting time, they went back to the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha and rested that night upon on the hill. One quarter of Matthew and Mark's gospel of John comes from the events that happened during this last week. Major part of the story. That took place on Sunday. Now let's go to Monday and see what happened. We're looking for marriage. We're looking for a sanctuary. We're seeing the ties. On Monday, arrangements were made for the dowry. A dowry is what? It's what the groom pays. Right? For the bride. Not so? The Passover lamb is set aside. Each pious Israelite householder selects a perfect yearling male lamb, a kid, on the 10th of Nisan. And this was tethered in a public place so that it might be observed by all ready for its killing on the 14th day, just four days. These four days of public display were designed to stimulate conversation concerning the role of the lamb in the deliverance of Israel. Jesus was on display during this time. He was going to be the sacrifice on display. Josephus tells us that there were almost a quarter of a million lambs sacrificed during the Passover season. I can't even fathom that. Can you? I don't think even Chicago in its best days did that. While thousands of paschal lambs were being readied for sacrifice, Jesus was set apart to pay the price. For whom? It's a sanctuary story that tells us about what God does in the saving of his people, but it's also a story of a wedding. The sanctuary is a story of a wedding. Also on Monday, <coughs> Jesus sees his fig tree. <coughs> It gives these leaves, which is surely evidence, you know, the figs come on first and then the leaves, uh, that it was going to produce fruit. And he cursed it because it was making a false promise. What did that remind you of? Something that's supposed to produce fruit but was not producing fruit? Who does that remind you of? The bride that he had come to marry. Right? Right? The second temple cleansing, remember at the first of his life, of his ministry, he cleansed the temple. This is the second temple cleansing on Monday. Uh, And suddenly he drives all of these money makers out. He rids his temple of all of that stuff and he tries to make it a real sanctuary, a real wedding chapel to celebrate what he has come to do. And in the place of all of the money changers and all of the others that were thrown out, the avarice Blind, lame, and singing children are there to witness the wedding, to be a part of it. They climbed up on his lap and they felt so at home, just like the little children in Abraham on his lap, and they felt like Abraham knew God. They could feel it just through the skin. And they knew the way he touched, the way he talked. He knew God. They were with somebody special. Monday and Tuesday, Jesus lingers around the temple as if in anticipation for his bride. But that same night, Monday night, the leaders of the church, the Sanhedrin, the traitorous groomsmen, illegally summoned a meeting they were never supposed to meet at night. And the purpose of this meeting was to condemn Jesus, the groom, to death. Wow, Jesus came with intentions of a marriage. Their intentions were to kill the groom. Tuesday, his last day in public, it was not meant to be that way. But because of the decision that was made the night before, it turned out to be that way. (coughs) Jesus tells a story about a wedding feast. Why do you think he told this story? Because it was what was the week was all about. Wedding feast, and you know invitations that were sent out were not appreciated, and and so the uh, the, the, the the king wanted to send out the invitations to whom? Anybody on the street, the, the, the crossing paths, you know where roads would cross. Go anywhere and just invite anybody and bring them in in the place so that the uh, ceremony can take place. But the bride is rejected. She refuses to put on what? The wedding gown that he has provided. She refuses to put it on. That night, Jesus observes a preparation. He's up on the side of the Bethany, uh, the side of the hill, just looks down on Jerusalem, and he sees this wedding taking place in the night. He tells his story. It wasn't unusual for the bridegroom to come unexpectedly to the bride's house. Um, Sometimes in the middle of the night, they would bring friends and tambourines and band and herald. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. The delay in his arrival caused half of the virgins to not have sufficient oil. And finally, the heralds announced that the groom was coming, and Jesus spends the night grieving. Because that's what he wanted, and it was not going to happen. His church had rejected him. His bride had rejected him. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he says, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that sent unto thee, how oft would I have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? Ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Jesus was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. He came with intentions of being the groom. His intentions were to give us every dream come true in our lives. But he was acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not, he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now we're into Wednesday and Thursday. This was the wedding day. They always like to get married in the middle of the week. So that's when weddings took place. We get married on the weekends, don't we? Well, I'm done with all that, but normally that happens, right? <coughs> So they were commonly celebrated on Wednesdays. And the reason for that, it gave time. And listen to this. It gave time on Thursday for the Sanhedrin to sit and allow any husband who had a complaint against his bride to come and present it. And the complaint was whether or not she was a virgin or not. And if she was not a virgin, then the marriage could be annulled right away. Just like that. That's what happened every Thursday grooms rushing, (laughs) whatever, while all Jerusalem was preparing for the Passover, who's bargaining with the priest on Wednesday to betray Jesus? Judas. Thursday afternoon, the Passover lambs were slain between the sun's first decline and the final disappearance, and then eaten in the early evening. Thursday evening, Jesus spent with his disciples, eating His first and only Passover with him. They had to be eaten in Jerusalem. And that's the only time he was there with his disciples during the years of his ministry. It was his first and only Passover with them. And you can imagine how wonderful that, that meal would have been if the things that had just happened had not happened. If the church would have welcomed him. If the bride would have opened her arms but this was a totally different time. With desire, I have desired to eat this Paschal with you before I suffer. I say unto you, I will not eat any more thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This church may not be my bride, but I will have a bride. And I will wait for that bride in order to eat that marriage meal together with them. That's the covenant Jesus was making. Thursday night, all through Jerusalem, they began to do something that was very intense. They, they just combed and scoured houses and everywhere where they were at for leaven. What was leaven representing? Any sin. Leaven's pretty tiny. And so they had to go around and they cleaned up absolutely everything. All this attention to that, but no attention to the fact that the prophecies all from as far back as they could remember and all that the the Shoshbin and all of the groomsmen and the guardians all through history was about to take place was taking place right then and there but they were consumed with removing the leaven by noon Friday Jesus needed to pray with his disciples as they left the upper room they went to the garden of Gethsemane and they wanted to but they fell asleep Late that night, he was formally betrayed by Judas, denied by his disciples, and incarcerated. And I've been to the place where they think that he was incarcerated. In uh, Caiaphas' house, there was actually a dungeon underneath in the basement. And that was probably where he was put. A hole was dropped through from the top, dropped into that hole. And so that night, he spent part of it incarcerated, part of it being beaten, and then also uh, being taken before the Sanhedrin throughout the night. Friday comes. We're taking the walk through the week to find out what is the connection between the sanctuary and the wedding, so forth. The trial, the crucifixion, the death of Jesus. In the morning, Jesus is tried again before the Sanhedrin in Judas' confession and suicide. Remember how he came and repented? But then his suicide took place. It happened on Friday. Jesus Jesus is tried before Pilate and then before Herod and then back to Pilate. He is beaten, crown of thorns, scourged, forced to carry his cross. Midday into the afternoon, things are moving quite fast now. All the leaven was to be removed from the home. They could have been getting ready for Jesus. And it could have been a different event. But it didn't happen. And then in the afternoon, the Paschal lambs are slain. And something leaves the temple of God. What, is, what left the temple of God? The temple was torn from top to the bottom. And the presence of God is no longer there. It's gone. The Passover meal is eaten. And when it is, the lambs are sacrificed, the Passover meal is eaten. What happens? Graves are opened. Interesting story in Matthew 27. Jesus is put in uh, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb just before sunset. The dowry. The dowry is paid. Jesus paid it for a bride who had turned its back on him. He paid it. She would be an unfaithful church, but he would be a faithful groom. He was the epitome of what this marriage would make us. It it, it does make us all uh, change because of his love. But she was now legally his, but that church was not going to be the one. Let's look at what happened on earth during... uh, Saturday, Jesus was at rest, but not others. He had been through tremendous turmoil for the last week, but not others. They weren't So he was resting, but the others, it was an unearthly stillness hanging over Calvary that many felt a horror at what had just happened. In the blackness that surrounded the cross, they concluded that they had done a great wrong. The Holy Spirit began to work on the minds to bring truth. Never had he attracted as much attention as when he was laying in the tomb. The Holy Spirit was talking to the people. They had seen the horrors of this leader of their church, the leaders of their church, what they had done. They were convinced it was wrong. Not all, but many. What was going on? That was on earth. What was going on in heaven? Well, when the angels whom Lucifer had once led saw what Lucifer had done, what do you think happened to their feelings about Lucifer? Severed. They realized something that only by seeing that could they realize. They realized how evil he was and their affections were weaned from him. There was no longer a place for him in heaven. He would be cast out. God had allowed Lucifer to stay in heaven all those years throughout the Old Testament simply because he knew that he had to do that in order for the angels to see this. Jesus said, it is finished. The affection that the angels had towards Lucifer was finished. His character is now made painfully clear. The angels he formerly had now are ready to cast him out. And they would soon be cast to the earth. Um, all of Satan's angels to wreak havoc upon Christ's church. Now we're going to go to Sunday, the celebration. We have the resurrection taking place early on Sunday morning. What a wonderful thing that was. Um, Jesus had a concern on his mind. Was the dowry enough? Was the price that he paid enough? Can you take people and turn them around? Had Had his ministry done enough to accomplish that? Had he paid a sufficient price to gain the bride? He must know. And so he says to Mary, don't hold me back. That's one of the texts that uh, you read this morning or was read this morning. He had to go to the Father to see that. And that speed trip to heaven and back, the bones of the, uh, the saints that were strewn about on Friday, what happens to those bones? On Sunday morning when Jesus came out, what happened to them? got reassembled and flesh added to them and they are now people walking around. Who knows when those people lived in their first life? Could it have been a thousand years in David's day? Who knows? Who even knows who they are? But it's this church that's coming out of the ground. This church that Jesus died for is starting to assemble. And then there was a wave sheaf. The wave sheaf was a ceremony where the priest would go out and he would take a handful of the barley harvest and he would look at it and examine it to see if it was ripe. And if it was ripe, that would be the Passover. But if not, you know, they would declare another uh, separate month, you know. Pentecost comes fifty days later. Jesus' priestly prayer in John seventeen is now beginning to be fulfilled. There will be a marriage. There will be a bride. Um, And you remember, I'm going to go ahead to Pentecost now. Do you remember when Pentecost, Jesus was ascended to heaven? On that hill, the disciples watched, the angels had come down, and when he took to heaven, he took some what? The Bible calls them first fruits. Who are they? First fruits from the grave that he had brought out it's the church, the first ones of the church. And he's taking them to heaven and he's escorting and the angels that went came down to welcome Jesus escort this group going up. And I have this little thing in my mind that always plays. It's from a passage. and It's just the way I read this passage in, in, in Peter. As they are going up, somebody's being cast out of heaven. Who's that? Lucifer, Lucifer and all of his... Never allowed to go back. These are going up. The new bride is going up to the new Jerusalem, the new temple. And the old angels are coming out and as they pass, this group is singing just like they did when they went to Jerusalem. Singing. And they are, you can read about it in Peter. It's just kind of interesting the way it talks. It gives you this, this uh, visual image of this group passing. And here's the triumphant. Thought it was a failure. No, it's the success. Jesus will have his bride. Wow. Victory. Satan's lies are exposed. Lucifer is no longer a shoshpen. All through the Old Testament, the reins that used to be in the hands of Adam were turned over to Lucifer. And now he's cast out. The wedding would take place, but it would be delayed. And that's where John the Apostle comes in and he tells us in the book of Revelation a lot of details about that. Well, here's the sanctuary. And the journey that I'm talking about is from the entrance of the court all the way to the most holy place. And the first things that you see when you go there in the courtyard is the labor, representing what? Baptism. And the altar representing what? Death. There will be no marriage unless both bride and groom Leave self. They have to die to self to become a whole new creature. Is that right? Yes. Right. And they have to go through a ceremony, some kind of in the Christian church. It's called baptism, to symbolize that. Oh, I'm going backward. What's happening? Do, do, do. What are you doing, computer? You won't let me go forward. Oh, there it goes. All right. Find out how to do it. Something went wrong. Hit the wrong arrow, I guess. And then from there, the courtyard, you go into the holy place. And there you have the three elements that are extremely important in our day-to-day living. This is sanctuary. Things about prayer, the altar of incense, the lampstand, the Holy Spirit in our life, the showbread, the Word, Jesus is in our lives. And this is how we are changed. We are born again, we are washed, made clean in the courtyard, we go into the holy place, and our life begins a process of growing into Christ-likeness until finally we go into the most holy place. That's where marriage takes place, that's where the oneness is at, and uh, that's the journey that we take. We take that, that's the journey that Jesus took in his life, it's a church, the church's journey, and it's also the, uh, the, the journey of couples. The same way. It's about marriage. This is how marriages happen. I'm convinced of it today. And maybe you are too. As you go back and you think about how you have become one with that partner that you're living with. These elements are there. You don't get there without going through these elements. And so the sanctuary is really about a marriage and how that marriage takes place. And Jesus filled that out throughout his life, particularly also in the last year of his life. Does viewing the sanctuary as a wedding help it to be seen as good news? Yeah, we like weddings, don't we? What whom are represented throughout its parts? Jesus, the Father. Everything that happens there represents something that they have done for us. The level of love that they have for us, seeing that does what to our hearts? It wins them, doesn't it? We die to self. We realize, as I have done many, many times, I know you have too, how can I be nasty when God has been so nice? After Jesus has done what he's done for me, how can I justify doing what I normally would do? And it's a sanctuary that teaches us that. It's a part of the marriage. What is the goal in the sanctuary? Marriage. The oneness. Go all the way in to the most holy place. Has that been achieved yet? No? Will it be achieved? Yes. Yeah? Was, uh, what is the message today for churches and couples? Same journey. Come absolutely convinced that we simply don't know how to become one. And the sanctuary teaches us how to become one. How to be married. All the things that are there Teaches how to do that. And the same thing for churches, to be a church. If the, um, they were so concerned about the details that they lost the big picture, the Jews in Jesus' day, the people in charge of the temple. How is all this good news? Tell me, how is it good news? Is it good news? Yes. How is it good news? It proves Jesus is coming back. Yeah. It, 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 it reminds us that the marriage will happen, right? Because in Revelation, you have the passage that the bride has made herself ready, you know, and there will be a banquet feast, so forth. It will happen. Jesus is still committed to that. He's gone to heaven to finish the preparations. What else is good about it? I, I think it's because Satan's done, he's it. He knows it. Yeah, but he's sent down to the earth. That's true and he does torment us doesn't he and the bible revelation tells us about that Yes and Jesus is pictured in the book of revelation as a conqueror isn't he yes, he's the winner. And so we've got a groom that will take us through he's committed to take us through and we know we're Yeah going to have And what was the other thing you mentioned? We're going to have victories Yes That's good news. So the sanctuary, instead of thinking about it so much about, you know, this sacrifice for all of this and it's my, you know, all the stuff that we have, you know, boy, I don't know why it got presented that way to me, but it did. And by good people, that meant right. But it's really about a marriage and getting people ready for wedding. And that's it. Thank you very much. And I just pray that all of us, you know, as we go through uh, our, our, our lives, as we go through our teachings, and we try to explain what Christianity is to others, that we make sure that what we say is what? Good news. It's so important that we say it the right way. What were the Jews saying in their day? They were so concerned about the noise in the temple The dirty people in the temple, they were concerned about that. Leaven was such a big issue. And all of these things sometimes tend to completely occupy the church. And they send messages out. And they send messages that are not good news. And it's only good news which is really gospel and uh, that we must hang on to.